Good morning, church. Um, our passage today is 1 John 2, 28 to 3, 10. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him he is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Would you please pray with me? Our God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We know that you give it to us because uh, it is good and it is powerful, and through it you want to speak to us today. And so give us, uh, give us ears to hear uh, what you want us to hear. Give us eyes to see uh, what you want us to understand and perceive. Give us hearts to believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you, if you uh, have a Bible or if you just want to take the bulletin and have that in front of you, because there's a few things that uh, I'm going to ask you to look at, kind of, because I think when you look at the big picture, just it helps it pop out a little bit more. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of First John. We're working our way through this letter that, or sermon, that John more than likely uh, writes to churches in the region of um, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And there are two kind of big things that he's trying to do here. First of all, he wants to remind the reader, he wants to remind you and me of the love of God for us. And, and really now it's kind of we're getting into that portion of the letter where he's really like coming hard at this idea of the love of God. We're going to look at that today and the concept of being children of God. Uh, and the idea is that the love of God then just kind of uh, works itself out so that it changes the way that you live your life. And what we've said is that John likes to go in circles, right? So he's going he's gonna to mention something, he's gonna just going to drop it, and then he's going to say something else, and then he's going to come back and he's going to flesh it out a little bit more. And then he's going to go around, he's going to come back around, and he's going to flesh it a little bit more. And then throughout the letter, he, he'll like toss in a new idea, and then just like, oh, random, and then, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. Uh, and that's what we see here today. Uh, he's continuing to develop some of these themes of light versus darkness, of love versus hate, of abiding or remaining, continuing. The word gets translated in different ways and departing or walking away. 
The second big thing that's happening in the letter is that there are a group of people who are um, questioning Jesus' deity and humanity. Uh, so they, they have questions about who Jesus is. They're questioning and saying, oh, maybe Jesus wasn't really God. Maybe Jesus will only appear to be a man. And they are also questioning the presence and power of sin in the life of those who follow Jesus. And so John's writing in the context of this, and the, that's, that's what he's trying to communicate. That's what he's going after, these two big, uh, these two big ideas. Uh, so today, what we see is this. Kind of big picture is that the children of God look like their father and live like their father. So you, you know the saying, like father, like son. I'm playing off of that uh, and saying like father, like child, because I want to incorporate my sisters here in the room, right? We look like our father. Uh, we do the things that he does. We, we, we live the kind of life that he lives. All right, now, one thing just to kind of note, uh, I, I put emphasis on this two weeks ago, I think, uh, is the idea of remaining or continuing or abiding. So if you have a Bible open, I want you to look. Chapter 2, verse 28 uh, says continue in him. Uh, chapter 3, verse 6 says live in him. Chapter 3, verse 9 says God's seed remains in you. And those three different words in English, but the same word in Greek. It's the word for abide. So throughout this passage, this concept of abiding, of remaining, of continuing in Jesus. And what you notice is, if you look carefully, right, that it's we abide in God and God abides in us. Right? There's this mutual indwelling. If you want to use like a big theological term, right, we call it union with Christ. Uh, and it's this idea that God is in us and we are in him. And therefore, there's security there. And so he's taking that idea and he's adding another layer on top of that. And it's the layer of being children. Now, I want you to take a quick look. Uh, look, scan the passage real quick and look for the words son. I'm sorry, look for the words uh, child, children, and born. Go ahead, take a second. Some of you are not doing it. <laughs> what do you see? Right? It, it, it appears at the beginning of the passage and then at the end of the passage. It's almost like bookends, a frame. He really wants us in this portion to see the importance. Three times he says in the NIV, at least the, the NIV that I use, uh, three times he talks about being born of him or born of God. Three times he talks about being children of God. Once ch God's child and one time God's seed. We're going to talk about that in a second. So Eight times reference to, uh, to this family language. Three times references to abiding. Do you get the idea? Right? He really wants you and I to land on this idea of our relationship that we have with God. You are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Where on earth does he get this idea? Does anybody know? Come on, Sunday school answer. Jesus, thank you, <laughs> right? He gets this from Jesus, right? John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus, and he tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again. That's where we get the idea of being born again, right? Uh, you have to be born again. It's this theme that you see throughout the teaching of Jesus in all of the Gospels. Uh, this is why at the beginning of John's Gospel, 
he says this. So, so the first 14 verses of John's gospel is like the introduction. And it is this amazing, beautiful, theological summary. And he's packing all of these like profound ideas. And in there he says this. He says, to all who believed him, that is Jesus, to all who believed in him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Faith in Jesus, believing in Jesus, receiving Jesus, leads you to become a son or daughter of God. It leads you to become a child of God. You are brought into the family. Paul uses adoption language to emphasize this idea of being brought into the family of God. John uses birth language. New birth, born again, spiritual birth, born of God. In order to drive home this point, you are a part of God's family. He's brought you in. Uh, How many of you have ever done one of these uh, DNA things? 23andMe, Ancestry.com. Those things are so cool. Um, So... And, and over time, right, they've gotten even more sophisticated. I did mine a long time ago, and the report that I had five, six years ago is very different from the report that I have now. But the one thing that hasn't changed in that report is that I am Victor and Susana's son, right? Every one of these reports, no matter how they arrange the information, my DNA, my cells say I am Puerto Rican, I'm the son of Victor and Susana. You can see all my, like, that's who I am. That doesn't change. Now, John says in our passage, in verse 9, he says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains, it's the word abide, God's seed abides, remains, continues in them. They cannot go on in sinning because they have been born of God. The word seed there is a reference to the Holy Spirit. All right, so the idea is this, right? God's spirit, through faith in Jesus, God's spirit comes into your heart, comes into your life, and your spiritual DNA, right? If you're a geneticist and this illustration breaks down, tell me later. Your spiritual DNA changes to the fact that now every spiritual cell in your body says, child of God. Nothing will change that. That's what happens through faith in Jesus Christ, that you become a child of God. And so as a result, our character, our actions, our words, our beliefs, our values, all of that reflects our Heavenly Father. I was to Miami. I was in the backyard. My, my, my mom had this, like, grand idea. She wanted us to, she was taking advantage of the fact that my brother and, and, and I were in Miami and uh, we had this giant project in her orchid greenhouse. Um, it would take me too long to explain all the detail to you. I am so like my father. It is hilarious. I find myself saying things, and I looked at my dad. I was like, oh, I do that too. Oh, my goodness. I'm just like him. Right? That's the kind of relationship that we have with our heavenly father. Right? That our words, our actions, our beliefs, our attitudes begin to reflect him more and more. That leads us then to our second point, right? Which is that children of God look like their father. They look like their father. Kids, uh, I want you to pretend uh, with me that uh, you are uh, working on a, on a Lego construction. You're doing a build. 
and there are some pieces that you're missing. And you know that these pieces, you can go to Fashion Valley, you can go to the mall, go in, and they have those pieces in that big wall in the back of the store. You know what I'm talking about. So you walk in with your mom and dad, and they're like, hey, grab one of the bins and just fill it with whatever Lego pieces you need. Oh, well, you know there's two sizes of bins, right? There's the little one and there's the big one. Which one do you grab? Of course, you grab the big one, my daughter. You grab the big one, right? Okay, of course you do. Uh, so, you, so you begin to fill it with your Lego, right? Now, imagine, if you will, that you happen upon this magical container of Lego. And this magical container of Lego expands to fill all of the Legos that you need for this build that you're making. That would be a pretty, because, you know, you get to the end, you're like, I want more Lego, but there's no more space. Imagine that it grows. That would be amazing. Hold that thought. Adults. Um, the love of God expands our hearts so that the more that we love him, the more our, the heart has capacity to love him more. Why do I say that? Augustine of Hippo. I just did Lego and Augustine Hippo, y'all. Um, Augustine of Hippo, an African pastor around the year 400, wrote this. He says, the entire life of a good Christian is an exercise in holy desire. You do not yet see what you long for, but the very act of desiring prepares you so that when he comes, you may see him and be utterly satisfied. He was saying the act, the Christian life is an, is an exercise in training your desires. And the chief desire is the Father. And the more you desire him, the more you set your heart on him, the more that you long for your father, the larger your heart grows so that your capacity for him is filled. It's absolutely amazing. That's what John says here. He says, behold the great love of God that he has lavished on you. Right? Our hearts are filled with the love of God. And then as a result, we begin to look more and more like our Father. This is what John says in verses 2 to 5. Dear friends, we, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law, in fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin, and in him is no sin. Uh, the word hope. We use that word hope, and oftentimes what we mean by the word hope is wishful thinking. Are the Padres going to win? I hope so. Or we don't know. I mean, we hope that they win, right? Yeah, go Padres, right? Um, but we don't know that they're going to win. Like, we don't know the future. They might lose. It might have been a game that they totally should have won, but they lose, right? It's happened. Hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking. Hope for the Christian is a posture of waiting for something that will know will happen but has not yet happened. That is hope for the Christian. Hope is built on the certainty of what is going to come even though it has not yet come. And that hope is that we will be made like our Father. How do we know that we will be made like our Father? Because Jesus died in order to take away our sin. Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us. And John says, like, your sin is going to be taken away. But, but, like, look at your life, right? And you're like, 
my sin's not taken away. Right? But we, you look in your heart and you recognize, man, I'm doing things, I'm living in ways that don't honor God. So how do we reconcile that? How do we do that? Well, what does John say? He says, dear friends, uh, this is back in verse 2, he says, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. There is this longing that you and I have. Can I switch to this? Or am I okay? All right, I'm going to switch to this. There's this longing that you and I have for, to become more like God. And here's the thing, right? The thing is that it hasn't been made known yet, right? There's this process that's going on and you're waiting and you're waiting and, and you're, we make progress in it. But here's the thing, right? It's at the second coming. Notice what he says. He says, when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. We are children of God now. Stop. Through faith in Christ, you are a son, you are a daughter of God, a part of his family. Stop. The fullness of that, right, the total glory of that, all of the implications of that, you haven't even seen it yet. And we won't see the fullness of that until Jesus comes back. We, uh, I've, on, on a number of occasions, I've talked about sin and I've said like, hey, let the, when you think about sin and its, and its effect on our lives, uh, we can think of three words, right? There's the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. Uh, so on the cross, Jesus has taken away completely the penalty of sin, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is done, completed action in the past. At the same time, then, we see that the power and presence of sin is something that is being done away with. And Scripture will sometimes talk about those things as completed action in the past. And sometimes it will talk about those things as something that's going to happen in the future. And, and which is it? Right? It's both. There's a sense in which these things are done in the past, and there's a sense in which these things are being done in the future. And that is what purification is, right? It's this commitment that God has to you as a child that he is going to make sure that you as a son or as a daughter are going to look more like him. And in order for you to get there, he does this purification where the power and the presence of sin in your life continually, slowly, over a long period of time begins to lose its hold. This is what it means to look like him. Okay, so first point, you're a child of God, right? God's seed, his spirit enters into you so that every cell of your body now says, daughter of God, son of God, child of God. Nothing's gonna change that. Because you're a child of God, you begin to look like your father because that's what kids do, right? Kids look like their parents. <clears throat> and so how does God commit himself to do that for you? He commits himself to doing that in our lives through purifying us, through molding us in the image of Jesus, by committing through Jesus and his spirit to sanctify us. Now, then he says, okay, so children of God look like him, but children of God also live like him. And we see that in verse 10. Uh, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their neighbor. The character, the attitudes, the values, the actions, all of these things 
right, that, that help us to look like God inform the way that we live like the Father, that we live like Jesus. John focuses on two things here. He says uh, love is central to what it means to be a child of God. And he says, secondly, that doing what is right is central to what it means to be a child of God. So let's look at love first. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because the next section of the letter, he's going to really dial into the idea of love. But let me say this. Uh, Loving one another. Love, there's an Australian theologian by the name of Michael Byrd who is really helpful because, you, you know, when you and I hear the word love, we can't help but think of what? Emotion, warm, fuzzy feeling, emojis with swirling hearts all around them, right? Um, and honestly, like, that's just so not helpful when you think of love from a Christian perspective. Because love from a Christian perspective, love as the scripture talks about love, is mutuality, it is commitment, it is community, right? It is a commitment that we have towards one another. It is a commitment to have community with one another. It's a commitment that says, I'm gonna forgive you even though I don't want to forgive you. I'm gonna be patient with you even though I really am having a hard time being patient with you. Right, that's, that's, what love, that's how love expresses itself. Now, I'm gonna say this. On the one hand, like, honestly, like, I think, like, Harper doesn't really good job of loving one another. Like, I, I hear stories, I see things, like, I'm just going to be honest with you, like, man, like, good job, great. Like, you should, this is the Holy Spirit at work. Praise God for that, right? Now, I'm not saying that so you can be like, all right, check the box, we're done loving one another. Not at all. Um, but, but I want to acknowledge, like, hey, you know, you, when you see the evidence of God's Spirit at work, we want to acknowledge that. Now, Last week and then the week before, David Rhodes and I, in our sermons, talked about the idea of questioning our faith, right? How, how, um, how is it that we then kind of approach when we get to these points in time where, uh, where we're beginning to have questions about things that we've believed and we begin to use the, you know, we use the word deconstruction, uh, to, to talk about like what is, what is healthy and unhealthy iterations of that. And David last week built on that and talked about reconstruction. Uh, so one of the dynamics that, um, that often will happen when we're in that space, and I'm not going to re- reiterate everything. You can go back and listen to the sermons. But one of the dynamics that will often happen is that um, when we find ourselves in a place where you're, you're beginning to go, man, like I'm looking at Scripture and this thing that I was taught, I'm now questioning, I'm not sure that's what scripture says, it can be really easy for us not to love the person that taught us that thing that we're beginning to question. Right? It can be really easy for us to, to, to get angry, depending on what it is that we're talking about. It'd be really to get angry uh, and maybe even to like get to the level of hate for those things. Scripture calls us to love one another. Scripture calls us to love our neighbors. Scripture calls us to love our enemies. Now, I'm speaking in really broad generality here uh, because obviously for all of the people that are here and for all of the possible scenarios that exist, there's nuance that needs to be applied. What does it look like to love if you're in that space where your faith is being rebuilt because of things that you've believed in the past that you're like, ah, I'm not sure that's, what that, that's actually what the Bible teaches. Uh, and, and so here's the thing, like, don't go through that alone. That's why we're here. 
right? That's why your church is here. That's why the, the, the leadership of the church, one of the primary responsibilities that we have as the leadership of the church is to be a support to you as you try to navigate what is it that scripture teaches. Uh, and so um, love one another, how does that work itself out? That's a subject for one-on-one -on -one or small group conversation. Now, the second thing that he says is uh, to do what is right. We could go in so many different directions with that one. Like, it's like a candy shop of ways that we can apply that. Uh, so let me just pick one. Kate uh, and I were talking this past week, and she uh, commented on the fact that there's like a lot of transitions that are happening in the lives of people right now. And so I started thinking through this. Man, there really are lots of transitions. So some of us are facing transitions in our families, right? Uh, kids are being born, maybe more kids than you expected are being born. Uh, parents, grandparents are getting older. I just had that. I had to go to Miami. Kids are getting older. And so obviously maybe they're moving from elementary to middle school or middle to high school or high school to college. Um, folks are beginning to think like, maybe do I need to change the way I'm educating my kids? Some people are going through that kind of transition. Uh, some are dealing with estrangement from family members. That's just family. Then there's work, right? Some of us are starting new jobs. Some of us are trying to figure out if it's time to look for a new job. Some of us are looking for a new job. Some of us are trying to figure out, is it time to retire from my job? Uh, some of us are trying to figure out, is it time for me to go back to work because I've not been working? Some of us are just experiencing transition within the job that we have. And I can think of an individual for every single one of those scenarios. Uh, some of us are experiencing transition in our housing, right? Some of us have recently moved to San Diego. Some of us are trying to figure out, is it time to leave San Diego? Some of us have just bought a home. Some of us have just moved because we're renting a new place. Some of us have just been told we, we are going to have to move because the place we're renting is no longer going to be for rent. Uh, and as a church, right, there's this question, what's happening with this building? We still don't know. Uh, and that's a transition, right? Uh, are we going to have to move to First Pres? When are we going to be able to come back? Will we be able to come back? We just simply don't know, right? And all of these transitions, and that's obviously not everything. We could talk about health. We could talk about finances. We could talk about parenting. But in all of these scenarios, it is really easy for any one of us to get filled with anxiety. In any one of these scenarios, it is really easy for us to begin to fret and worry and understandable, honestly. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, he's talking about anxiety. He says, the birds of the air don't worry about their food. The flowers of the field don't worry about what they're going to wear. The birds eat really good. The flowers look really great. And then he says this. He says, your heavenly father knows that what you need. You think about that. How does Jesus... Speak to your heart in moments of anxiety. Jesus speaks to your heart in moments of anxiety by reminding you that you are a child. It is being a child of God. It is doing what is right and trusting God. That does not mean that the situation is going to magically disappear, right? 
but it does mean that as we walk through the situation, as we walk through it as a child, as we walk through it as sons and daughters of Jesus, the situation might still be hard, but how we respond will be affected because we're sitting in this reality. I'm a child of God. He is my father. He loves me. The reality is that there are lies that we want to believe, right? They'll say, you're an orphan. God doesn't really love you that much. He's not, he's not trustworthy. You think this, but this is all a bunch of lies. But the reality is that God says, I'm your father. What great love he has lavished on you that you should be called a child of God. And that is what you are. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Father in heaven, we praise you uh, because you have allowed us to be born again into a living hope. Uh, We praise you because you have, through the resurrection of your son Jesus, made it possible for us uh, to be born into your family. Uh, And being born into your family, that we become your children that your spirit lives in us and so that every fiber of our body says we belong to you. Lord, we want to look like you. Father, we want to live like you. We thank you that you're going to make that happen. We thank you that, that you tell us in this passage that one day, this is all going to be fully and finally revealed. And what we will see in that day will be amazing. As we live in the now, uh, as we face uh, the difficulty of loving one another, as we face the reality of transitions that lead us into anxiety, help us to be your children. Help us to look like you and to live like you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.